This is Monica and this is Shauna and we're your high priestess for this evening and I'm just going to say it right off the bat we're sharing a microphone so bear with us and with us we have Vinny or as they keep calling me Papa Strega. Big Papa Strega. Oh, excuse me. Big Papa. And it's Stragone. See I know that and that's why I laugh whenever I see a guy call himself a Strega. And I kind of say you know with this California so maybe it's okay. I mean, whatever. They're Italian witches. I don't care. It's yeah. cool. Bring on the legacy. Well, Vinny's still in town. And so what that means is that I am taking advantage and I am putting him on the spot to As get usual. some lovely insight for all of us. And we were talking with our last episode that we recorded on magical creatures. And we said that we were going to kind of dive into witchcraft, like wrapped into history in ways that isn't necessarily always talked about in history. So we touched a little bit on um, Hitler and Himmler and well, and theirs, okay. right? Well, Hitler, you know, Hitler and Himmler got back into, or got into the occult by even prior to the whole uh, National Socialist Movement that there was a kind of a revitalization in ancient Aryan Nordic mythology. And what happened was they uh, kind of took that North, uh, North mythology, it was based on an actual magazine called Astara, and they created this fake occultic SS movement. So they imbued this uh, so-called mythology and magic using some basic knowledge of the runes and elaborated on it and formed the SS into actually almost like an occultic operation. So this magazine was something that was like... From like the late 1800s, early 1900s. And it definitely had an influence on the, the whole Nordic uh, nationalistic movement. But there was a lot of magic in history a lot of witchcraft or ma- uh, ceremonial magicians that affected or influenced history uh, for the good and the bad. I can definitely see that because when it comes right down to it, paganism has always been there. And a lot of belief systems have stemmed from that. And therefore, a lot of cultural traditions and thought processes are also going to be tied there. So it wouldn't surprise me if we found the occult and paganism and stuff wrapped up into major historical events and major historical people. One of the things that uh, we we got we started this whole conversation last week was I was talking about a book called Lamas Night. Can't it's been a long time since I read it, so I can't remember the author or the publisher. But Lamas Night was uh, a fictional account of the Grand Coven of England. It was just when the Battle of Britain started that all the witches, all the ceremonial magicians, all the different traditions gathered or gained to do a spell at the exact same time. Oh, you found it. I found it. It is by Catherine Kurtz. And you can find it online very easily for about like no more than $6. And it looks like there is a circle of lit candles with a swastika and I think an athame in the middle of it. Right. Yep. Well, I think the it was either one of the SS daggers or an athame. But what happened was... Hold on, hold on. Did you guys all just hear that? Did everyone it's just really a hear mommy, that? I'm not hanging no, no, out no. with you. No, no, no. No, no. He said athame. It's he said mommy. athame. Uh-uh. You can't take it back. I have it on recording. I win. I win. It's a mommy. Uh-huh. Anyway, it was a it could be an SS dagger, but what happened was when I read this book, um, I was fascinated. It was a fictional account, and uh, this high priestess I knew, who was uh, quite famous, uh, and she was also practiced ceremonial magic. And she was from the Isle of Jersey, and she, I was telling her about the book, and she started laughing. She goes, "Oh, honey, that was really true." Uh, 
she said, you know, it wasn't like exactly like in a book, but all the witches, the ceremonial magicians, the masons all got together, not in person, but they all coordinated a magical ritual to protect England from the German um, Luftwaffe during the Battle of Britain. And they said the hardest part was trying to figure out how to repel the Germans without doing negative magic. And I'm like, so that's actually true? And she's like, oh, yeah. So one of my other friends, his grandmother was alive in that time period. And they came from a traditional uh, coven out in New Forest Castle, the same place Doreen Valiente comes from. And she verified it, too. She goes, oh, yeah, we all got together on Lamas Night to raise a cone of power to protect England. Like, oh, very interesting. And uh, so, again, a lot of things are written as fiction, but they're still based in truth. There's no such thing as pure fiction. Everything has some type of basis in truth. So when you watch a TV show, there are influences. I could cite one in particular, The Sopranos. Uh, all the people from Jersey, especially my neighborhood, watched The Sopranos, were like, oh, that's so-and-so. Oh, that was that restaurant. Or, oh, that happened at this place. So we all laugh, and people are going, oh, The Sopranos is really good, but, you know, it's not true. And everybody in Nutley, Bevel, and Norks going, oh, uh, yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. It is true. So... We, we look at these his, historical events, uh, we do know that there's paganism or magic involved in a lot of the symbologies. Uh, just the fact that this hammer and the sickle used by the communists, especially in the Soviet Union, the former Soviet Union, the sickle represented the agrarian feminine society and the uh, hammer represented the worker male industrial society. So whereas communists will say, oh, one's for the agrarian, the farmer, and the other's for the worker, the sickle always was traditionally a female symbol, and it kind of reminds you of a crescent moon. And the hammer was supposed to be the penis or the masculine energy. I gotta say, when we like started trying to come up with this symbolism, there really wasn't a lot of creativity when it came to representing no. masculine. No, <laughs> there is no fucking creativity there. Well, I remember you, when I was first taught. You know, how like to lay the out. first time you said you nailed the girl. Um, there you go. Well, like, cause I remember the first time that I was taught how to lay out an altar, the teacher was just straight out. She's like, "Listen, if it looks like a dick, it goes on the god side. If it has a bowl." And it looks like a vagina. It goes on the goddess side. She's like, it's that simple. Oh, yeah. And I was like, wow, when you uh, put it that way, you just took all the mysticism right out of that, didn't you? Well, I've been teaching that for years. Like, you look at the obelisk, the pyramid. Uh, that's always the male side. The spheres, the eggs, that's always the female side. So, yeah, of course. So, here again, you got the sickle, which represents the mother goddess and the harvest, such as Demeter or Ceres. And on the other side... The hammer represents Vulcan or um, Thor or a host of the other male gods that have a hammer. And they hammer in the morning. They hammer in the evening all over the land. Bang, bang. <laughs> I don't think she knows that song. You don't know that song? I don't think. I think I she's. Don't. Yeah, <laughs> I, I figured don't. so. Bang, bang. That's all I got. <laughs> all right. I don't know. Maybe I do, but I'd have to hear it, though. I, I don't you I don't know it don't, enough for like you a, don't a sing. I don't sing. I, I I value your listeners too much to sing. You know, sometimes I'll go to like other coven's rituals and like they're all singing and it's really beautiful. And I mean some of them I'm like they're probably like fucking opera singers. Like it's amazing listening to some of these people and I just think I could never be in your coven. Like there's no fucking way A I could ever keep up with that, but B, I don't even sing at karaoke. Like this would never happen. Do you notice though that like priests and nuns have the amazing voices catholic they, priests and nuns they have some really good voices like, actually uh, what happens is when you put people together that can't sing and they're all singing at the same time it usually sounds if you have some really good singers you actually create like a harmonic convergence and it sounds much better i remember we were doing a chant with chick cicero and a uh, chicken tabby cicero and they were teaching us this chant 
And I was like, wow, we really sound good. And they said, well, Vinny, were you singing? I was like, yeah. And they were like, wow, that's really magic if we can make you sound good. <laughs> yes, indeed. Okay, well, you touch on something interesting within history, though. You were talking about, like, the symbols, the spheres, the obelisk, all these things. Uh, do you know about any of, like, the, like, mysticism or, like, the mystical influences that went into the pyramids, these things that, like, we see today and we see as just, like, a historical artwork or historical objects that have, like, occult connotations to them that you can point out to us? Okay, oh, I'll even, let's say even in modern America, the 509th Airborne Station in uh, Vicenza, Italy. Their symbol, their coat of arms, their patch, is actually a, a lion with wings on it. And there's a couple connotations there. Of course, anytime you see, a lot of times when you see wings on an American um, army patch, it usually represents that they're airborne. They jump from planes, hence the 509th Airborne. So a lot of the guys were, oh, yeah, because we're the lions that jump out of the sky. That lion, that winged lion represents St. Mark uh, in the uh, Bible, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. However, that same winged lion is the Leo, which represents one of the Kerubic symbols of fire, where the Kerubic symbol of fire is a winged lion, just like there's a winged bull to represent Taurus. The other two aren't so crazy. One's an eagle for Scorpio and the human, winged human for an angel for uh, air. But historically, the 509th Airborne wears the Lion of St. Mark, which is it kind of invokes additional magical protection. I really like that. I, I like that th that thought, though, too, that like they have the magical protection with them, just like imbued right into that symbol. Here's another one that most of your listeners probably don't know. You all know what the uh, Medal of Honor looks like. The character inside the Medal of Honor actually is either Minerva or Bologna, the, uh, the warrior goddesses of the Italians, of the Romans. Really? Yeah. I mean, no, I'm going to have to ask to see like a picture of my cousins because he has one. I wonder like what his looks like. Your cousin has a Medal of Honor? He does. He fought in Vietnam. And so uh, you met my other cousin, Valentina. Yeah. It's her uncle. Oh, that wow. Has it. Yeah. But you don't have to go that far. You could just look it up right online. I know. But now I want to know what his is. What was he, Army or? I don't know. I'd have to find out. Because each of the services have their own Medal of Honor. And oh, the I didn't Navy know that. and Marines have their Medal of Honor. The Army has their Medal of Honor. And then they made a special Medal of Honor for the Air Force. I don't know if anybody in Space Force got one yet, but that's where they came from. But the figure is the goddess of victory. So I have another question. Now that we're kind of talking about, well, I mean, I guess this whole thing, when you come down to talking about history, you're kind of talking about like government and politics within everything. And I don't want to talk about politics. Mm, okay. What I want to talk about is your opinion on people, especially like today, it kind of goes into the Lamas Night thing a little bit. I remember a couple years ago, there was like this whole like mass hex on Trump. And at the time I was working retail at Green Man and all we knew was that there was going to be something like that. And we were just like, listen, we don't participate in anything like that. We we're staying completely neutral because it just came down to the fact that we don't do that kind of magic ethically is what we our stance was. But I remember everyone coming in trying to buy shit for it on this specific day. And my whole thought was, I'm like, well, I guess when you stop to look at it from a magical standpoint, that's a lot of people putting a lot of intention into it but do you feel like something like that can be effective but remember whatever you're doing someone's doing the opposite so if you're doing a spell because you don't like joe biden there's somebody else doing a spell because they do like joe biden right so there's a whole bunch of people that didn't like trump there was a whole bunch of people that loved trump so you still have two different groups. There was still like that countering intention there. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, I hate to say this, but there was like a lot of magic going on during the uh, Hillary Clinton, uh, Don Trump, Donald Trump uh, campaigns. Oh, I'm sure. But uh, what do you think, like, 
as a witch, like let's there. I mean, there's so many different political conflicts going on in the world today. Like if everyone got together to try and throw magic at something to create resolution or peace or whatever intention you want, do you believe that you can kind of like that, that you feel like that magic would be effective towards something? I guess that's the point that I'm really trying to ask. I don't know how effective would be, but it can't hurt. But then again, you're, you know, the one of the things about the Wiccans and a lot of the newer age style metaphysicians use, believe in is, and then it harms none, do as I will. You're not supposed to be doing magic on any one person. You're not supposed, well, you know what, then you're, if you're doing magic to affect uh, an individual, a president or a dictator like Putin, are you doing black magic or negative magic? On the other side, we're watching the poor Ukrainians getting their butts kicked by an aggressive force. So what are you doing? Are you, Do you have a right or do you have the moral obligation to do protective magic? But who's right, who's wrong? Half the people listening to this broadcast are probably on Israel's side. The other half are probably on the Palestinian side. And... You know, it becomes a moral judgment, but again, where do you stand and what are the ramifications of it? Exactly. Well, I think one way that it was presented to me when it comes to this is um, I took a class and the teacher basically said, like, listen, it's really hard to try and work effective magic towards something globally, even in, in a group, because you're still, you know, you could say you're a group of 100 people, like, but we're talking about something globally, 100 people isn't very much. Right. But also, it's hard to try and work magic about something that does not technically affect you, that does not directly affect you. And that was their point on it. So they're like, you know, if you're, like, for instance, like, Los Angeles, we just had all of these strikes with the writer strikes, the the SAG strike, stuff like that. Even though I am not in either of those unions, they are very, they very much so affected me because I live in Los Angeles. My work is there. So therefore I was affected by it. So kind of like by proxy, it is my business. So I could try and work magic to create a resolution versus something that's going on on a global level where like, yes, I can have my opinions. I can have my sympathies or whatever. But since it's not directly affecting me, it's almost like it's not my business to do the magic. Is yeah, how it's but kind then of again, you have clients that come to you and, uh, you know, we do magic for other people. It doesn't directly affect me. If uh, Joe Facignats comes to my comes to me and he's in bad health and I do a reading and it says I should be, he needs to do a certain cleansing or he needs to do a certain healing spell. It doesn't directly affect me, but I'm still going to do it and I'm going to affect him. But then again, I one of the things I don't do, other people can, I don't do anything without the person being directly involved or even indirectly involved. So if the, I get a call from Pennsylvania and so-and-so's having problems and they asked me what I can do. I'll take a reading and then look at it and say, oh, you can do this, this, or this. Or, okay, I can do this, this, or this for you. I'll make a candle and burn it. But I usually have a connection to those people. So, again, I'm not involved. Your health is not my concern or my business. I'm, concer- I'm concerned because you're my friend or my client, but it doesn't directly affect me. So what do I do? I still do the magic. And I hate using the health scenario because um, I don't believe in doing a healing spell for someone unless I get their permission or their uh, guardian's permission. Like if you called me up and said, oh, Felix is sick. I'm not going to ask Felix at two years old, oh, you want me to do a spell to make you feel better? Because all he would say is, Vini, Vini, Vini. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, there again, you come to me with a love, sp- you need a love spell or you love uncrossing or love healing. It doesn't directly affect me. But I'm still going to do it because you're my client and because I want to help people. So at what, at what level, what stage do I say it's no longer my concern? Right. See, that's a really valid point. It's a, it's a really interesting question when you think about just kind of like 
the ethics can that can be involved because especially today especially with the internet and all the forms of communication we have all over the world and how interested people are in magic that they do want to try and apply their magic to try and create some kind of peace whatever their version of peace is within the world with all of that kind of circling back to like the historical standpoint here uh, what other examples do you know of where we have seen mass workings of magic towards something in history Believe it or not, even though a lot of your listeners won't agree with this, every religion, including the Christians and the Jews, get involved with prayers for victory or prayers for peace. Um, I remember during Vietnam, they used to pray in churches for our boys overseas. When I was in the military, we have chaplains of every faith and every denomination. So, believe me, when there's times are rough, including, I know a lot of your audience might not remember, 9-11. There were mass prayers for everyone, um, you know, for, because for the country. So, and I guarantee you, somebody overseas was praying against us. So, there was a professor I knew, Dr. Lichtenberg, his his son was a very good friend of mine and he had a great little pamphlet called the insights of an ins- of an outside the insights of an outsider and one of the th- things he said was if both comp uh, both sides in war claim god's on their side then only god can be the loser so it kind of made sense like you know the germans thought god was on was saving germany the English thought God was saving England. The Americans thought God was saving us. So everybody's invoking God. And I think God just looks down and says, I told you not to fight. He's probably looking down going, what a fucking hot mess. Yeah, that's what happens when you have free will. That's what happens when you have too many fucking kids, God. <laughs> One of the things, too, if you look at history, um, the, take the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was at its zenith, its height, when it was still pagan. It was when it became Christian that it started becoming a downfall. So someone said to me, do you think that uh, when Constant, uh, Constantine converted to Christianity, that destroyed the Roman Empire? Like, yeah, well, maybe it just ran its course because no empire lasts more than a few hundred years even the united states we had a hundred years of pretty much being the dominant power in the world and we're suffering now no country no empire lasts more than a few couple of hundred years england the united kingdom had one of the greatest empires ever they didn't make it through world war ii by 1960s they were totally diverse their Australia became independent, Canada became independent, all their African holdings became independent. Even I say it's kind of forced that though. So again, um, was that history or was that religious? Was that magical? I don't know. But I do know that there has been times, I'll give you another example. If you're in the United States Army, artillery, the patron saint of artillery is St. Barbara. <clears throat> so it's a Christian Catholic saint, and you have all these people that belong to the Order of St. Barbara, even non-Catholics. Isn't she like St. Barbara, like the destroyer or something? She's got like a really destructive something in her name. Well, what happened was St. Barbara, the, the Christian version of St. Barbara, was that she was a, a priest... Uh, a princess uh, and her father was pagan and wanted her to marry a pagan king and she refused to because she was a Christian so he locked her up in a tower and uh, she kept praying to God and God hit her with a lightning bolt destroyed the tower and freed her so in many religions they many of the Afro-Cube or Afro-Caribbean religions some Stregoria religion, they assimilated that St. Barbara with Chango, patron saint of lightning, thunder, and fire. But that same character 
St. Barbara, and I don't mean she's a character, but the caricature of her became the uh, patron saint of the artillery, patron saint of miners because of the lightning and the thunder, or the lightning and the explosion. She rules uh, explosives because lightning is explosive. So the artillery, miners, um, ex- uh, demolition teams, they all prayed to St. Barbara. Now, where I live now is a big mining area. It used to be like the coal mine capital of the country. And ironically, there was no Saint ch- uh, churches to St. Barbara, but there were statues to St. Barbara everywhere you went. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Very so cool. to this day, when you're in the artillery, the United States Army artillery, you receive, you belong to this thing called the Order of St. Barbara. And when we get in our dress blues, you'll see all the artillerymen wearing this red and white ribbon with a big cross with St. Barbara's picture or uh, relief on it. So there again, does religion have a part or magic have a part of the military or world history? What is your favorite magical reference in history? My favorite? Like, what's your one where you're like, man, I really love this one, like, tidbit about history that's magical or something like that? Probably the, uh, during World War One and the, uh, Russian Revolution, Rachmaninoff wrote the uh, Rachmaninoff Vespers and they were sung throughout every church in uh, Russia on Good Friday and it was supposed to bring peace and victory and all that and it really did create a big stir because uh, the revolution took off and of course the czar was supposed a few years ago, I took my daughters to Marywood University where they were doing the Rachmaninoff Vespers. And you know, I didn't know much about Rachmaninoff, but I do like Russian. I do have an interest in Russian history. So I took the kids there, and there's all these people in the rotunda, and the uh, Choral Society was up on the top of the rotunda circling it, and they started singing. And everybody in that rotunda went into like a trance we were just so relaxed we were so even the kids they were just like this is beautiful and they were like drifting off to sleep and i'm looking around and everyone's in this relaxed state and i'm thinking wow what was it like in russia in 1917 to have this same vesper sung all over russia or czarist russia how did it change an effect to people. Yeah, now I understand the Vespers are um, Christian, Russian Orthodox, but the tones, the sounds, the uh, the harmony that was converged by this, it was just mood altering. It was kind of magical just sitting there without any intent. So what did that do? So I think that's one of the ones I question a lot. I think another thing I question is uh, the Roman legions. Whenever you saw the Roman legions, they had a thing called a standard. It was like their flag. It was a big staff, and on top of it is an eagle with four lightning bolts in his claws. Well, there's talons. Well, most people go, oh, isn't that nice? Those of us who study the occult knows that the eagle and the lightning bolts represent Jupiter. And on their shields... There's always eagle wings and lightning bolts. To, and consciously or subconsciously, they're invoking the protection of Jupiter. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> so, well, I have, like, I have a random question. Since we're just talking about that, have you ever seen the... Um the like Sicilian, I guess you would call it like sigil or like the symbol. Of the three legs. The three legs, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Is, do you know like what the symbol, because the first time I saw this, I was like, this is like the witchiest fucking thing I've ever seen, but I don't know like the breakdown of and it, in, do you? And in the middle of it is a head, which is supposed to be one of the goddesses. I think 
I'm not sure, but I think that the the head was supposed to represent Ceres or one of the um, goddesses or gods that represent agriculture. If you look at a map of Sicily, it's like a triangle, which are the three feet or the three legs. Now... According to this, it says it's supposed to be Medusa. Medusa? Yeah. It doesn't surprise me. It's supposed... That's why those damn Sicilians are so scary. Thank you. Thank you. I I try. I try. I, uh... And you succeed. Yes! So the, you know, the goddess symbol, but you also see three, um... Uh, three grains coming out or three stalks yeah, like that wheat. I think has to do to, with the wheat or the series. Now, ironically, every most, I don't want to say every, but most of the shields of the Italian provinces are red and gold. Naples is red and gold. Sicily is red and gold. I'm pretty sure Calabria is red and gold. So you'll see that red and gold uh, motif also throughout the Italians. So, oh, no. In the bigger version, you still see the wheat. Yeah, you see this, um, the serpents in her hair. But, you know, the Sicilians, they're not really mm. Italian. Mm. Okay. <laughs> I'm Nabaladon. My go. people are from Naples. Her people are from Sicily. And Monica's people are from... Oh, oh, excuse us, the Sorry. upper class. Yeah. yeah. You know what, Monica? I feel like that makes a lot of sense. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> I love you, but you can be a princess. We all can. Really? Yeah, okay. fucking own it. Monica can be a princess, or she could be right there in, there in the dirt with the rest of us. Oh, True. Hey, man, I'm the first one to say that Monica's the G. I remember I had Monica at my burlesque show doing a ritual once, and I introduced her because I was the MC, and I said, this is a fucking OG witch right here, right? And everyone's cheering this now. She gets off stage. She's like, what's an OG? You didn't. I did. Oh. You're a fucking gangster. You might be a princess sometimes, but you're still OG, man. It's you cool. You can take the girl out of Jersey City, but you can't take the Jersey City out of the girl. That's true. That is so true. Absolutely. Yeah. We, we might try to hide our roots, but it comes out pretty quick. It does. Yeah, Monica's first Athami was a switchblade, but you didn't hear that from me. Is that real? Is he? Oh, damn. Damn. Are you sure? I don't know. Monica, Monica makes this face when she's like pacifying you, and then she has this another face when she's like trying to bullshit you without you telling it. I call it the liar face, right? Like you have, everyone's got to tell basically i can't tell if you're telling the truth or not so this i want a poll this is a poll everyone do you think that monica's first athame was a switchblade no her first athame was listen at the beginning of this episode sir you said athame why we're talking about uh-huh. the italian witches especially in sicily oh there we go there we go uh-huh. this is another reference to history the during the persecutions of the witches, and it was mostly under the French, um, the Fre- the French were coming down on the Italian people. They were our conquerors for a while. And, of course, the Catholic Church was coming down on the, the witches, the pagans, the Stregoni, or the Stregi. So the Stregi ended up work, you know, escaping into the mountains and the hills with the mafiosi. Now, the original mafiosi were not gangsters. They were uh, freedom fighters. They were fighting against the French and whoever, the the, uh, House of Burgundy, all the, you know, the invaders. And there became like a union between the mafiosi and the the, uh, the Stregi because the Stregis were doing the healings. The Stregis were doing the spying. The Stregis were doing the... uh, cooking so to speak the mafiosi were doing the fighting of course there was male stregi that you know the male stregones who also fought but there was always that connection when i had my shop in new jersey there were some gentlemen that came to ask me to take out insurance policies with their organization 
And I said, you better think it twice about this. They looked around, they're like, what are you, a Strigone? Like, yeah. Oh, it was nice to meet you. And they left. <laughs> That's awesome. That happened on a few occasions with different groups. But this, so there was always a history between the, Strigo- the Stregi and the, uh, the forces that fought against the government. The, one of the reasons why I think the Stregi were so strong in Italy is because they were the anti-government force. Um, the Catholic Church and the Italian government were very closely aligned, uh, you know, between the Papal States, uh, the House of the, you know, the different houses. And the same thing, you'll find the same thing uh, going on, whereas the Italians didn't revere their priest as much as the Irish did because the Catholic Church represented the anti-English uh, or the anti-British force. And we see that in elsewhere where it was the pagans or, you know, the witch women, whatever you want to call them, were kind of s- sympathetic to the rebels. And we see that in America too today. A lot of the, uh, the witches we know or the pagans we know, they're never happy with the government, you know, whether it's too liberal, too conservative, not doing enough, doing too much. And uh, I we, think that's just being human. Pardon? I think that's just being human. Yeah, but I'm saying that we tend to be a little bit more active with it. Where do you feel, like, when we look at history, that there's, like, where you where you look at it with your, with your knowledge that you have, and you go, well, clearly there's, like, a cult or paganism influence here that the most of us kind of just, like, glaze over, like, with history stuff. I mean, now that you kind of bring up everything with the symbolism within the military, which I feel like now that you pointed out, it's like, big duh, big duh. So that's definitely one of them. But is yeah. there anything else? Well, I think, you know, I'm trying, you're putting me on the spot here, which was your whole intent. <laughs> There's so many I uh, where that paganism had an influence. Um, and religion in general, but paganism especially. The Vikings, you know, the Nordics, when they went raiding, who did they raid? They raided the uh, monasteries. They raided the churches because that's where the riches were. But yet, they took the slaves, and many of the slaves were priests or nuns, and slowly, the Christians, the Catholics especially, converted the Norse to where there was a war within the Norse lands between the pagan Vikings. Are you talking about St. Olaf? St. Olaf. Mm-hmm. There was others too, but okay. mostly the Irish ones. Uh, where the pagan uh, Norse started warring with the Christian Norse. Just in case anyone's wondering where that St. Olaf reference is, I don't know what number that episode was, but Monica and I did an episode that we called Saints That We Think Are Assholes, and St. Olaf was on there. Oh, okay. Also, like, that episode was Cursed Monica. Do you remember that? We had to record that, like, three different times. Yeah, that was crazy. Just wouldn't record. Just wouldn't record. There was It a, was those asshole saints. There was an incident. The, uh, there was a movie called The, Be- the Believers with Martin Sheen. Uh, I don't remember who else was in it. A lot of famous actors. But Martin Sheen was the main character. And they were fighting against... Uh, he was a police psychologist, and he uncovers an occultic group that is sacrificing children. And Robert Loge is in it, and he goes insane. Uh, Jimmy Smith was in it. He goes insane because they're cursed. And eventually he finds out it's this rare African cult that his own in-laws are involved in that are sacrificing the kids to give these people eternity. And he thinks wrongly that it's Santeria. So in this movie, he goes to a botanica and he meets a guy who's a, a priest of Alegua, you know, a Santero that's a, a Omo Alegua. And he, of course, does his spell, saves uh, Martin Sheen, Martin Sheen's fiance, his kid, and all that. It really ends up to be, you know, it's a pretty good movie. So one day this guy comes in my shop like, you look so familiar. Now, remember, this is Jersey, not California, where you guys see famous people all the time. We don't. Oh, you look so familiar. You look so familiar. He goes, you ever see the movie The Believers? I said, yeah. He goes, I played the Santero, the Allegua Santero. Oh, yeah, now he recognized you. 
I said, were you into that? He goes, no, but after I did that movie, I was compelled to follow Santeria. Then he told me the same thing. He goes, we had a lot of problems with that movie. Everything was cursed. It was like we had to actually bring real Santeros in to cleanse the sets because everything kept breaking down or we did record, we did takes and it didn't record. So it's kind of funny that user bring that up about St. Olaf. You know, it's really funny how often you hear about like movie and TV sets that had something to do with witchcraft that they had weird stuff going on set and they needed to have someone come in and ritually cleanse it or put up, you know, like protection and all of these things. I think I always get a kick out of it. When I was, uh, when my brother was in, uh, uh, what's the name of it? Columbia Presbyterian up in, uh, the Bronx is a big, huge hospital up there. Takes up like five, six city blocks. They actually had Santeros on staff to do psychic healings or ritualistic healings because the people are so ingrained into Santeria. One of the, again, I'm bringing up Santeria, but even in Castro taking over uh, Cuba, Batista was supposedly a Santero. Castro was a supposedly a Santero. And uh, one of the rumors is that they tried to capture Batista. They were right in the outside his door, and somehow he escaped with the help of Alegua. And everybody said that was because uh, Batista was a Santero. They also thought Castro was a Santero, but Castro actually made it illegal to practice Santeria or because it was too primitive, too African, and too counter revolutionary so i always get a kick when the liberals say oh you know che guevara is so great but castro did a good th- castro tried to wipe out and uh, che guevara and castro tried to wipe out the african religion in cuba i had no idea about that that's really yeah. interesting because cuba is known for that religion i mean big time even in america the cubans are known oh yeah for that religion well, we used to joke around. We would say Haiti is 90% Catholic and 100% Voodoo. Yeah. And Cuba's pretty much the same. They're, you know, oh, no, no, we're atheists. You know, it's counter-revolutionary. Praise be to Chango. You know, it's really a very important part of uh, their culture. And uh, those of you who have gone to uh, New Orleans, the uh, Cajun Creole people down there, that's not even a second thought. They actually think and believe and live a Voodoo's lifestyle. My godmother, God bless her, she really thinks that she's a Catholic. I'm like, Madrina, Catholics don't kill chickens to a legua. Well, not the Italian, not the American Catholics, but the Cuban Catholics do. Like, okay. She really firmly thinks she's a Catholic. Honestly, that just goes with my saying that everyone has a little bit of a witch inside of them, at least. And I'll tell like my clients because sometimes it'll come up where a spirit will come in the reading. I'll be like, oh, well, this is an ancestor of yours. That they're a witch or a healer or whatever. No, not in my family. I'm like, honey, that's really cute. Yes, in everyone's family. family. If you have a descendant that's over 700 years old, yeah. Right. There has to be. Uh, because everybody oh, even started closer, even closer than that though, because everyone just like just like your godmother, there's plenty of people out there that have like have heavy witchcraft or you know magical influences in what they're doing, well, but they don't realize. There's definitely folk magic in all traditions. Every exactly. country has some form of folk magic, some form of uh, divination, but often the Catholic Church was really geniuses when they converted to people they took their old gods and made them saints or demons they took diana lucifera and made her saint lucy or santa lucia but they take her brother apollo lucifero and he's the evil angel they took the they took pan as the representation of Satan, you know, the horn god. They took Lilith and turned her into the original demon just because she told her husband, fuck you, no. But what I'm saying is the Catholic Church was so smart that they converted the people. They even changed the birth date of Christ to match Saturnalia. Yeah. Oh, they, they knew what they were doing with that, and it really made that conversion a lot easier. 
Um, as we wrap up, is there any other notable, magical, historic factoids you want to throw at us? So I mean, many. you threw a lot at us already, so. One of the things, um, if you look at just the history of Haiti and the Dominican Republic, you will find that there's a double culture there. There is the official Haitian government. Then there's, um, the best I can call it is a lodge or secret societies that are voodoo. And so you have a double tier system. You have the mayor of a town and then you have the guy that's kind of head of the secret society. If you, you did something wrong and the government don't get you, the secret society does. Uh, there's an excellent book about it called Serpent in the Rainbow. It was much better than the movie. And that's another historical, that's kind of a more anthropological about how this two-tier system, the government and the secret societies, and if, by secret societies, I mean voodons. They're, matter of fact, the Tonton Moncouts were supposedly, they were like their secret police, but they were also very heavily involved in uh, voodoo and the dark side of voodoo. One of the things I always want to caution people, don't believe the movies. Movies are meant to sell tickets. They are an gross exaggeration or totally erroneous. The things I see on TV or the movies about voodoo or Santeria or witchcraft is just downright wrong. Very wrong. So, you know, oh, you know, it, it's it's made for TV. It's made for the movies. It's fake. It's fiction. It's it's not real. One of the, and this has nothing to do with magic. We were watching a baseball movie, and I forget who it was about. And my buddy's looking at this movie. He goes, oh, this movie's so wrong. They got him batting righty when everybody knows he was a lefty. He said, that's your biggest complaint about this movie? He goes, yeah. He said, how about the fact the guy's been dead for 30 years? He goes, no, I didn't think about that. So we picked up that he batted wrong, but he's still alive on TV. So remember, everything you see on TV, everything you see in a movie, everything you hear on the radio is meant to get sales, not to convey the truth. I mean, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Well, I think you gave a lot of inspiration to people of what they want to research and kind of try and get to know within their grasp of history. Uh, I know I have things I want to look into now. So thank you. Because you know what, Vinny? You always have so much knowledge that you share with us. And I just want to say thank you. I've, I've learned so much from you. And I know all of our listeners have to. And I just appreciate that you come and you share all of this knowledge because honestly, it's it's wonderful stuff that like I, I have nowhere else that I would learn this from but you. So thank you. Thank oh, you for being pleasure. you. I love coming here. Well, we love you. So here's my question. Do you guys know who your shout out is? I can give you guys time to think because I actually know who mine is. Okay, go ahead. Okay, so recently through Kindle, I stumbled upon this author named... And I apologize in advance if I butcher this, but I don't think I am. Iris Beagle Hole, like Beagle, like the dog, Hole, H-O-L-E, Iris Beagle Hole. And I am reading a book series by them. Uh, the I think I'm on book number four right now, and it's called Combustible Magic. And it's super cute. It's this British book series that reminds me of like a magical British Gilmore Girls is kind of like the dynamic that's going on which is kind of cute kind of annoying because like I liked Gilmore Girls but also found them super annoying and they, they the characters kind of have that but what's really cool is this is clearly written by a pagan and it's all centered around this magical town called Myrtlewood so if you like you look it up you look up the Myrtlewood mysteries is what you can find the book series on each book is centered around one of the holidays of the wheel of the year and it's this mother and daughter that just found out that they're witches and they're trying to figure it all out and there's always someone out to get them right but it's all like oh fuck it's Beltane oh shit someone summoned Bellamus oh fuck now we have to deal with 
Bridget's fucking grandfather. You know, at one point they even reference uh, Doreen Valiente in the girls' high school magical history class. You know, so it's really cool as a pagan to read a series that's very like light and hallmarky, but with a lot of pagan connotations and a lot of um, really things to like educate yourself on. Because there was even things that I read that there was references to in this book that I'm like, wait a minute, and I had to go look it up. Like I've actually learned a lot from this, and it's been incredibly enjoyable to read because it is light and it is cute, but it's still something that's very nice and comforting that you just read something by a pagan in like pop culture fiction that's just it feels really very normal so i'm just very happy that we have pagan authors out there like that doing this cool my shout out is to you Vinny. i'm here yeah because uh i i you know i always love spending time with you and picking your brain and that's one of the first things i said after i stepped into your store and said i'm home i said i want to get in his brain and thank you for allowing me to do that. Thank said you. She, and she wanted to cook and she oh, capuzzelli. <laughs> as long as she doesn't, uh, as long as it doesn't have Not any green stuff beans, on it, right? Right, exactly. It's yes. delicious with fava beans. Oh, my shout out is to everybody who thought I was dead. <laughs> In the past few, coming out of retirement again, just when I thought they were, I was out. They, they pulled me, me back in. in. <laughs> That's Monica and Shauna did that. You're and, welcome. And uh, I was at a, an occult store down in Wilkesbury, and like seven people, the the uh, the owner introduced me. She goes, "Oh, I want you to, do- Vinny, Vinny. We thought you were dead." And I'm like, she's like, "What's going on?" I said, well, "I kind of retired, but I'm out." And like seven different, eight different people actually walked and said oh my god i thought you were dead so to all those people that thought i was dead hey i'm still here or did i come back dun 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 all right i'm into it well um i hope you guys enjoyed it if you guys have any questions about anything pagan and historical anything that kind of goes along with this send us an email wine spirits and witches at gmail.com let us know we'll pass it along to Vinny. we'll try and get some answers for you if you guys have any questions comments stories that you want to share with us so that we can do another ask a strega episode that would be marvelous again send it to wine spirits and witches at gmail.com and until then merry meet merry part and, and merry, merry meet, meet again, again.